Welcome to another edition of the EMS you know Wizard I Podcast. Hey, I, I have learned uh, something this what? past week. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, one of these days, I'm gonna let you finish, but I gotta tell you some stuff. I got some not. hot water. I got some hot water this past week. I have learned you cannot just randomly go into somebody's somebody's uh, somebody's QRV. What? Um, I don't. Yeah, man, what are you doing <laughs> to somebody? <clears throat> you can't be getting to somebody. Chris, he get in your vehicle. I don't even in there, Terry. I did. I, I'm be uh, honest with you. I I got to get rid of it now. Nah, I mean you won't. You won't be able to get the smell out of it. So oh, what did you do? Uh well, I was looking for Chris, hoping that he would like do the podcast with us. But apparently, you just can't break into a truck or whatnot. I kind of thought he was in there. It was locked. I just kind of was able to finagle my way in there. In, anyway, anyway, Chris, I'm glad you was able to join us in this uh, in this episode. Um, so thank you, despite the circumstances um, of doing that. Glad to be here. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. Chris, why don't you, you <laughs> tell us a little bit about about you and and tell us about, you know, what uh, which what you do in North Carolina EMS? So I've, uh, I'm at Warren County EMS. I've been here my whole career. I know it's kind of a, a rare breed to, to find. I've been here since 2004. Um, I started as a basic. Now I'm here, kind of, so to speak. Um, I was promoted a few I was promoted in 2012 to shift supervisor, and then I was promoted to EMS director in 2021. Nice. 21, in the midst of the pandemic. Oh, so that's one of those trial by fire issues there. I, I, they just can't find a way to get rid of me yet, apparently, I guess. <laughs> Work hard at it. They, will, they can find a way eventually. At least that's been my experience. <laughs> I can't keep up with you, though, John. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Who could? Well, you I mean, if you've you been try. the same place since 2004, I think John's been the same place since 2020, maybe. Yeah. Meaning okay. military time, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I feel those strokes at, at me, Terry. I appreciate that that uh, stabbing that you give me constantly about that. It hurts my feelings and my heart, and I want you all to pray for me. That's because that's he's what, not your best friend. Yeah, that's what second best friends do. So. <sighs> Well, just like all the other stars, you are falling. So, mm. uh, hey, Chris, uh, you kind of, um, you know, what, what, what prompted you to even want to be an EMS? I mean, that's the stuff that sort of interests me. Is in today's world, different things are inspiring people to be an EMS. What inspired you? Was it tradition? Was it a TV show? What got you to want to be an EMS to begin with? Well, I actually started in the fire service in '95, and that was more like a family tradition, so to speak. My dad had been in the service, fire service for uh, 20 years. My uncle had been in the fire service. He was actually the chief of the fire department when I joined. He'd been in the fire service for years and years and years. Uh, so almost like it was meant to be kind of a thing. And I got in the fire service in 95. I was young and uh, fell in love with it. And I guess you get the cliche a lot in helping people, so to speak. But uh, it was more, more than that. It was that deep tradition that the fire service had, the true brotherhood I, I really – was drawn to that and if you don't know exactly how true a brotherhood is in the fire service go to a firefighter's funeral and it'll really inspire you you know and see how close people are that second family uh, so that really drew me there and then the respect that the people gave the firefighters was really uplifting to me and it really drove me to be a better person and, and to try to be better to to live up to what they expected um and really that's what kind of led me into ems was i got tired of the fire pager going off uh and me not being able to go to the call because I wasn't certified. So I went and got certified and, and kind of came into EMS that way. 
So what, what were what were some of the big things in, in terms of making that jump or that leap over? We talk about the brotherhood, the sisterhood that you get in the in the fire service. Um, and to me, it sounds like uh, where we talk about people that come into this and you come in from that rescue squad uh, and you learn about culture, you learn about about being a, a servant and taking care of people. What were some of the big adjustments or some of the big leaps to, to go from the fire service for EMS for you? Uh, it, it was actually the culture part was the biggest leap. Um, the, there was such a deep tradition in the fire service. Uh, and and when you look back over the history of EMS, uh, we've changed, but we've nearly never gotten that really deep tradition that the fire service has. And we really haven't made that that next leap to a true profession where I, I would like to see EMS get to in the future. Now, so that that part was different for me. Um, the the. The education that was available there was was a barrier. Uh, I think we're still fighting some of those struggles today, uh, but but it's definitely better than it was. Uh, so it was a, a trial by error th- sort of thing. Um, try to learn best practices from where somebody else failed, and the 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 networking that was involved in that was was somewhat challenging, particularly where we're at in Warren County in a very rural area, uh, where we only uh, had two trucks on shift 24 hours a day and we were running somewhere between 2000 and 2,500 calls. So we were a very small organization at the time in 2004 and, and probably half of our responses were, were convalescent or inner facility transports at that time. So it was a big jump from the fire service to EMS, just a different, uh, different shock. Uh, and it's not exactly what, what you would, ex- you would expect when you go into, or at least I feel like what people expect when they go into the, the emergency medical services uh, you expect that every call is a high acuity call. It's a it's a life or death. Let's try to save somebody's life here, and it, you find out real quick that's not exactly what you're getting yourself into, particularly nowadays. Yeah. So, Chris, you've been with Warren County for a long time. Have you worked your way up from EMT all the way up to where you are now as the director? Uh, what do you feel has been one of the most beneficial things that you've learned going through your promotional processes and working your way, your way up through the ranks of responsibility? So I've been really blessed to have a, a very big network of of friends. Uh, I'm a firm believer you don't have to know everything. You just got to know where to find it. Um, and there's some some amazingly knowledgeable people in the EMS, and, and a lot of them have helped me through my way. Uh, the biggest leap for me uh, when I got promoted was – to make that transition from helping people to helping those who help people. And that was a hard transition for me, uh, particularly when I would, would go on some of the, the higher acuity calls with the crews. I, I found myself reverting back to what I was two months ago or, or two a year ago, even it took me a while to figure out where that, that boundary was and, and where I, what, what my role was. And I found myself stepping on providers feet a lot. Uh, particularly the, the younger providers. I've been doing this 20 years. Let me let me step up here and run this call. And I found out real quick, I was upsetting a lot of people. Um, but as far as the, the transition, I think that one of the biggest things I learned was uh, you, you're not going to know it all. And, and it's okay to say, I don't know, and, and look for that help and, and seek it out. Because I think that's the elephant in the room a lot of times when you get to uh, this level is, is realizing that the problem that you're facing is probably a problem somebody else is facing. And instead of saying, I don't want to talk about this problem we have because I don't want to make us look bad, chances are somebody right next door or the door next to them has had the same problem and had to fight those same battles. And if we have to go through that whole process of reinventing the wheel, we're really going to set ourselves and our neighbors and everybody else back a few steps. 
I think that I don't know is one of those underused terms. Um, you know, we're scared to say it. Officers yeah. get promoted and because they're confident, they go through the whole now I'm, now I'm in this position. They're scared to say I don't know because they feel like, hey, I was promoted. and I supposed to know? And, and I, I think you're right, but I also think that sometimes that's not even the problem. I think that uh, I think one of your students said it the best. You don't know what you don't know. And I right. feel like a lot of people are promoted and they don't know what they don't know. So they're going through the course of work like they do know or, or, or that the, the, what they're, they're facing really is not even in their mind. And they're, and they're going through with all this confidence in the world. And really, they're failing miserably, but they just don't know it. Right. Uh, when you, you said that you got promoted in the middle of COVID, what were you, what was that transition like to be in one position facing something you've never faced before, like a pandemic, and then being promoted to the top seat in the middle of that? What, what was that experience like? Oh, there's no playbook. That's a that's a hard, you know, that's a right. hard transition. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think it was a, a, a barrel of emotions all at once. You know, frustration was, was up there at the top of the list, um, overwhelmed. Um, overworked, understaffed, you name it, all the emotions were there. Um, and, and again, I think it was is a, the problem that we're still looking at today. Uh, and not to, to swear you guys' head, but you know, the EMS wizards, the, the officer classes have really helped tremendously with this. But you know, when, when I got into my leadership role back in 2012 as a shift supervisor, which what we now call captains. Uh, there was no EMS leadership classes. If you wanted EMS leadership class, you congratulations, here's the fire officer class in Maryland. Go take it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That slowly progressed to you, you find in some EMS management classes, but you had to go to Las Vegas to the World Expo or Chicago or, or somewhere. And guess what? That's not really helpful either because guess what model they're working off of? They're working off a fire model. It's not, you know, North Carolina based. So, so while the classes slowly evolved, you really still never got that true um, leadership training for, for North Carolina EMS. So I think the closest thing that they came here first was the class at UNC Charlotte. I took that uh, several years ago of the EMS Management Institute. It opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. I figured out, you know, I don't know a lot of stuff. Uh, and, and, it, and it made me feel like it was okay because the whole class didn't know a lot of stuff, you know, so it, was, <laughs> it made me feel a little bit better to know I wasn't, wasn't alone. But, and, and I think a lot of people are in that same boat, you know, we're, we're, we feel like we need to promote the best paramedics to leadership positions. And, and I think history has taught us that that doesn't always work. I mean, I, I don't care where you're from or who you like. Everybody knows Michael George is the best basketball player ever lived. Well, tell me why would there did. ever <laughs> tell me how he did it ownership you, you see uh, what I'm saying? I mean, oh, man. I think we still do that sometimes yeah so, and uh you go ahead terry i i, I got something else so, so so chris you said something a minute ago and it, and it hits on something that that mark and i have talked about that john and i have talked about and and walter when he was with us you know something that that we would talk about and how do you make that adjustment and because this is something that that when we teach classes, when we when we talk with folks, when we mentor and and develop folks, they'll ask the question. I, I go on a call and I don't. I, I'm used to starting an IV or talking with the family, and and I, I jokingly say that management by pocket syndrome, where you've got to stand in the door in the corner with your hands in the pockets. What? How did? How did you make that mental transition? What? What helped you? Well, one thing that really turned that switch for me was was a call I ran with um, with a provider that's worked here for a number of years and uh, a, a very respected uh, medic in, in my eyes. Uh, I, 
I really stepped on on his toes pretty bad that call. And um and he came in my office after the call and we had a nice little talk and and I was humbled. You know, I was brought back a couple of steps because I, I understood exactly what he was saying. And and it really made me do some soul searching, you know, some some investigating of my own self and my own practices. And I found out that 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 it was really I'm not going to say it was really uh, aggressive, but it, it, it would come across as aggressive. Uh, so so I made that transition after that day. And I told myself when I go on calls from now on, I'm going to sit back and number one, and I, I'm not saying this because I'm the director of Warren County, but I'm going to tell you, we got some of the best medics in the state of North Carolina. And I truly believe that. And, and I sit back and, and see those medics work. And while I'm doing that, my, what my brain is processing is, okay, this is great, <clears throat> but how can I make it better? What can I do for these guys to make their job easier or where are they coming up short? And and when I'm on calls, that's what I'm constantly thinking about to prevent me from going into that role. That, that, that's what I had to do to kind of sit myself back and step back a little bit. I mean, I, 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 I like your passion for, for your County. And that's one of the things that I would say from the mountains to the coast and uh, talking with our, our agencies and with our people, I really would say that we've got some really great, some all-star uh, paramedics, some advanced and some EMTs in the state of North Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do have a question for you though, Chris, you know, coming from the land of swine and wine, tell us a little bit about Warren County. Uh, Warren County is actually one of the larger counties in the state land wise population. Not so much. I think we've got a total population of about 24,000 on the last census. Uh, we do have a seasonal influx in the summertime. We're, we are home to Lake Gaston. Um, we used to have a six to 7,000 residential influx during the summer. I know that doesn't quite touch where you're at, Terry, on a Saturday with an influx of population. Uh, but that, that influx has actually slowed and the population has actually grown due to COVID. Uh, when we've had the self-isolations and the quarantines with COVID, a lot of people from the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, the coast and places like that that had lake houses, they they quarantined at the lake. And then when COVID was kind of resolved or calmed down a bit, I should say, uh, they say, you know what, we, we've made it here for two years. We're going to stay here. We're not going back to the city. And so the population has come up since then. Um, as has the call volume. Obviously, our call volume went through the roof with uh, with COVID. Uh, now that that's slowed down, the call volume has not. Our call volume has actually gone up every year for the last seven years. Uh, we're we're getting close to four thousand calls a year now. And like I said, the the, the county size is huge. There's parts of the county it takes us twenty minutes to get to running lights and siren. Uh, we do not have a hospital in the county. Our closest hospital is about thirty minutes away. Uh, we transport to a total of seven different hospitals, all local hospitals. Uh, we do go to Duke and places like that, too, with STEMIs or, or burn centers or things. But um, we, the call volume is not what kills us. It's the, the, the man hours, the truck hours, about an hour and a half, hour 45 turnaround time per call. Um, so we're averaging right now somewhere between 10 and 12 calls a day, uh, running four trucks, 24 hours out of three stations. You know, going back to COVID, um, did you experience a lot of a lot of the agencies in North Carolina experienced that part where they were really preparing right when COVID happened for a lot of calls to drop all at once? Did you in Warren County experience that drop that happened in March, April and May and then that huge rebound that happened in June? What was that like? Well, 
Honestly, I look back at the call volume. It's been about six or seven months ago over the pandemic, uh, and, and we never really saw a big surge at all. It just gradually increased throughout the pandemic. We did see a slight drop off in that time period you're talking about. When I say slight, maybe an average of 0.8 calls a day drop off. Uh, lasted about two months, and then that, that second Omicron uh, variant came through, and it went back up a little bit, and that's pretty much where it stayed. Um I think everybody was getting getting prepared for the pandemic when it first started. I don't think what we what we were not prepared for were the mass exodus of providers. And mm. I think that's what really killed the service, of, and not just our agency, but killed it statewide, nationwide, really, uh, was when we saw all the, the, the veteran medics that have been here 15, 16, 20 years say, you know what, this ain't for me. You know, I, this is not what I want to do, and, and I'm out. And in a matter of about two or three or four months, we lost probably 30% of our providers. Wow. So, so Chris, how, how do you, as a, as a manager, you've got these tenured people who are leaving. And so now you've got these folks who, who don't have some of that experience uh, or, or that job knowledge. What are some things that you're doing to help raise up that next generation in Warren well, County? I wish I had that magic wand, Terry. I mean, um, we're looking at several wizard things wand? right now. They say what? <laughs> a wizard wand? <laughs> a wizard wand. I wish I had that wizard wand. Uh, we're looking at several <laughs> things right now. Um, you, you, I think everybody knows that the pay increases that, that Wake County, Durham County, Johnson County started. I think it's something that's very over, overdue for the, the profession uh, as a whole. Um, it's a great thing and it's a bad thing. You know, um, are the medics worth it? Do they need it? Absolutely. They need more than what we're getting. Uh, but it's it's a terrible thing for, for counties like Warren, you know, that don't have the tax base that the Franklin counties and the Wake counties and the Orange counties do. Uh, we just can't match that. And um, it's it's really putting a strain on us even today to try to find that edge that we're just going to get to take us to recruit some people. Uh, so we, we're, we're, we've gotten approved to switch our schedule from the Kelly schedule we're running now, which is a three on four off schedule, um, which it's, it's a give and take. You know, you make a little bit more money on that schedule, but the hours are just torrential. Uh, they're, they're, they're just draining. And uh, so we're, we got approved to switch to a 2472 schedule sometime this fall. We're hoping somewhere around September, uh, October is what I'm hoping for. Um, we're looking at, at starting the EMS Basic Academy. Um, the director in Guilford County, Director Albright, I respect him so much. I've learned a lot from him, probably more than what he knows. Uh, but they they started an academy down there. They're doing a paramedic academy where we're, we're going to try to start doing a basic academy where we actually pay somebody to come in with no certification Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and um, do a basic academy. Once you get through the basic academy, we're going to roll right into a paramedic academy. Uh, you'll be in school between, between you know, 8 to 2, you know, 2 o'clock. If your shift's on, you're on a truck. Uh, so we're, we're trying to we're trying to figure out ways to, to beat it because um, we, we money is not the, the an option for us. We just don't have the tax base to match some of these salaries. When I when I first started um, uh, as interim, when Director Pascal, who was here for uh, over 40 years when he was here, uh, when he left, I think our starting pay for a medic was like 1625, if I'm not, not mistaken. And. And the county's been good to us. The county's always been good to us. Uh, I think we're up now to twenty two fifteen, so we've we've made a a, a good jump. Um, but you look at uh, hours drive from here. You're looking at salaries at starting at twenty eight, twenty nine dollars an hour. And, and yeah, we've lost some people to that, and and I get it. Um, but we've got to find something that that is going to make people want to be here. 
And, and the county, like I said, they, they've given us some great equipment to, to try to make that, you know, that get fill that gap in a little bit. Um, we've got the, the, the best equipment you, you could ask for. I can't ask for any better equipment. Every single truck we run is stocked to the gill with top of the line equipment. And, and I'm truly thankful for that. And that makes a difference. Uh, so the, the county's working with us and we're, we're trying to find a way, but um, that, that's what we're doing right now. And, and hopefully we'll see some benefits. If not, we'll back up and punt and try something different. So Chris, you were talking about a while ago, you know, kind of touching on some of the recruitment and retention piece of, of EMS, you know, there's been the pay increases over time. You guys have great equipment and that's in great shape. That's a really big draw for a lot of people. Uh, what do you see that's been really successful for you guys as far as a draw to get people into your agency or the profession overall? Well, we've done a lot of work with the FTO program, and I think that's done some uh, leaps and bounds for our recruitment. Um, I know it's been at least 20 years ago, but – when we, we had providers start with us, it was uh, here's your pager, here's the keys, here's your partner kind of a thing. And, and that was your training. And that's how you learned by the city of your pants. And while I think there are benefits to that, I think that was a huge gap. And and we were setting people up to fail. And uh, we realized that we've done a lot with our our FTO program to where we make sure we're not doing that anymore. Um, and, and another thing we do at I'm huge on is I don't want people to be afraid to fail. If I ask my providers the last time they failed and they can't tell me, then I feel like they're not pushing themselves. I mean, I, I want, I want to encourage an atmosphere where people are not afraid to make mistakes and, and, and learn from, from, from what they do. We, we either win or we learn. And that's kind of the thing I like to promote. And I think that speaks leaps and bounds. Um, you know, I had a, a guy really respected in the fire service. He was a chief at a department, not, not too far from here, a paid department. And, one of his members wrecked a, a brand new tiller lighter truck, probably a million dollar truck. And when he got to the hospital, the only thing he asked him was, well, are you okay? Yes, chief, I'm good. He said, well, all right, anything I can do for you? No. And he turned around and he left. And, and I think that spoke volumes to his employees, you know, where, where he's at and his mindset there. And that's kind of what I'm trying to promote here. And, I, and I, I'm not, I'm not faking the front, you know, I'm, I'm I, that's how I am. And I've just always been that way. So I think that helps pull people. Because people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad management, you know. So I mean, exactly. If you can figure that yeah. part out, I think exactly. we'll have the recruitment stuff bit a little bit better too. You know, the other recruitment tool you probably could have in there is trains. Do you have any trains in your county? No, we don't have any trains. We have train tracks <laughs> if that counts, but but no. Terry, trains. would you you could take pictures of train tracks, Terry? How do you have train tracks and no trains? That's we never we don't have time for that. So yeah, that's, a serious, that's a different podcast here. We'll get there next time. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, a serious question as we as we're you know kind of a uh, uh, coming coming towards the end of our time together is if, if if you could talk with Chris who got into this you know nineteen years ago and and you you had that fire service experience. But if you could just sit down and and, and talk with uh, with Chris from 19 years ago and just pass on, you know, a word of wisdom or, or something, what would you what would you say to to you 19 years ago? Uh, if I had to if I had to pick one thing, I'd probably uh, probably tell myself to stop comparing me to other people. Uh, I struggled with that a long time in my career. I, I had so many people that I looked up to so much. And, and I compared myself to them and, and I didn't, what I didn't realize was they had things going on that I knew nothing about and vice versa. I had things going on. They knew nothing about. 
And when I made that transition and stopped comparing myself to other people and instead compared myself to who I was yesterday and try to be better than that person, that's, that, that's really what got me to where I needed to be. And if I could have done that 19 years ago, the sky would have probably been the limit. We don't know the battles that other people are, are fighting, whether it's their, their personal or whatever demons. And so that's a, that's pretty good. That's pretty good advice. Yeah. And I think one thing we haven't mentioned is how Walter's not with us tonight much, but he's not dead, but he isn't dead. Uh, And, and you remind me, your story reminds me so much. It's very similar to what, what Walter's story is, you know, he's homegrown. He's there and he wants to see something very specific to his agency and stuff. So I know I kind of hate that he's not with us, you know, in this episode, but I I can imagine some of the questions he would, he would ask would be due to the the loyalty, the passion that you have for that specific County. So I think that's, that's one of those things that I, you know, I personally feel is is pretty cool about your story. It's, it's, it's a a cure and a curse all in one. I mean, you want to leave it better than it's, you want to leave it better than what you found it. So it's, it's a little pressure there, you know? So, uh, but but, and I think that too speaks a little bit to the recruitment side. If, if you're here for 20 years and you're here for the long haul, I think that speaks volumes to people that are interested in coming there. What, you know, what's making him stay. Do you have a best friend? I've got a second best friend. Is it Terry? Is it me? No, Am I Terry, your second best Terry friend? Terry is not my best friend. Am I your second best friend? You, you, might, be in the, you might be in the top five, Terry. Okay. I, I got we, a trip planned for the Outer Banks not too long. If I can get a helicopter ride, you might make the top three. Okay. I mean, what? I make no promises, but we can we can see what we can do. I'm willing I mean, to John, John doesn't have a helicopter. No. No. What does that have to do? What? I, it, and and what? You, you didn't get in my truck either, Terry. So, I mean, yeah, that, you I mean that's true. There too. That's because I, well, uh, a- I, respect, I respect the man and his vehicle. I, I, I. Anyway, John, just just give up on it. Chris, it's been a pleasure talking with you during this episode. Really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate it, guys. Thank y'all for everything y'all are doing. Y'all really are making a difference in in the profession, and I greatly appreciate it. I think the only difference that we're making is is with getting those connections and people like you, your dedication to the industry. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your life, and thank you for what you do. Uh, with with your your agency, with your people, and for recognizing most importantly the importance of having a second best friend um, and that hierarchy of of things. And not stay out of my space. <sighs> he did say Michael Jordan was the greatest. I'm gonna leave it that. Where's Keith? Oh. Is he still a defensive? Oh, okay. Damn. Not in Nashville. Mm-hmm.